0: The Guardian. On the issue of terrorism, Nigerians have lived with fear and insecurity for far too long. The human and material costs of the insurgency in my country and to my people are staggering and unacceptable. When Boko Haram actually started, it was almost like a non-violent social-religious movement. Nobody ever thought that over time, if a matter of few years, internally displaced people's camps will be created, military checkpoints will be all over the place, you know, shops are going to be closed, curfews are going to be imposed, sometimes even mobile networks are completely suspended. So a lot of people... Are affected, you know. Wives have been killed, children are missing, girls have been kidnapped. So I think at the moment, what I've seen is that people are very, very distressed, and people are expecting a lot from the government, from the international community to put an end to this violence. My name is Binta from Asaga. I have seven children. We came here Saturday, just as night fell. People from Boko Haram. Came to Asaga and killed the 12 people. We all came from Nigeria. We are refugees. They came, they got everyone together near the mosque and they shot.
1: They fired again and again and killed the 12 people. Everything
0: that we'd left, they
2: pillaged, they raped young girls. They say they are Muslims, but they'd killed all the Muslims there. I'm Lucy Lamble. In this Global Development podcast, we visit the Diffa region of Niger. Its border with northern Nigeria and its long-standing cultural links means that Niger, like neighbours Chad and Cameroon, is also dealing with Boko Haram activity. We talk to some of those that have been displaced from their homes. We also look at the social and economic impact in the region and investigate the actions that the newly elected President Buhari is taking to address the Boko Haram crisis.
3: My name is Benoit Thierry. I'm the country director for the World Food Programme in Niger. It's a very, very complex uh, situation in, in Difa now. Uh, it's very difficult to control on, on the military side. It's, it's not, an easy, uh, not easy to, to address.
2: The Difa region in the southeast of Niger borders the northwestern part of Lake Chad, as well as northeastern Nigeria. The town of Differ itself is five kilometers from the Nigerian border.
3: To mid last year, I think it, it was mainly in Nigeria and then it started to spread onto, onto Niger uh, with uh, the, the attack of uh, Difa and Doso on the uh, 6th of February uh, where, where it started really to be uh, a military action from Boko Haram into Niger with a movement of people. Then I think it's, it's, uh, it's very complex, A lot of people uh, were displaced at the time.
2: In May, Niger deployed armed forces to the region. Despite that, DIFFA remains a target for Boko Haram. Even as recently as this month, there were attacks on the city prison with the aim of releasing insurgents held there. Sumana Gao is the governor of the DIFFA region, where communities are actively being encouraged to provide information on those involved.
4: We know we have information about the whole region of Difa, so if anyone's involved with Boko Haram, then we're aware of it. And then we asked them to testify, to swear on the Quran, and because of that people have begun to tell the truth. And they told us about people who were selling pepper to Boko Haram, but people do not stay in jail if they don't have links to Boko Haram. Dried fish and
2: peppers are critical to the trade in the region. But following concerns that Boko Haram were extorting taxes on traders, sales of both were banned in the state, to some resentment from residents whose incomes took a hit. Trading in pepper was reinstated this July, but motorbikes are still banned, meaning the local population's movements are restricted.
3: The measures
4: that were taken are starting to bear fruit and show results. Yes, of course those who live in Diffa know that now it's more peaceful, it's safer, there have been no terror attacks since we took those decisions. It is because we banned the dried fish business that people from Boko Haram come and steal food here. We've seen in some villages that they were even stealing biscuits, cookies and small businesses. It means they were starving. Otherwise they were not interested in food because they had enough resources. They had pepper, they had fish, and they could send people to buy food for themselves, so it did work. We also stopped the motorbikes, the bikes, and they were not able to come here and shoot people here in Differ, because they did not have any motorbikes.
2: But despite these measures, and the presence of both the military and the national police in the city, residents live under threat. Attacks in the region come every few days. Those who are asked for information can end up being particularly vulnerable.
3: Uh, la so they also come here
4: really for reprisals. They target specific villages and they target specific houses. So based on the arrests made against the activism of Boko, those who inform sometimes would have to pay a high price for giving us specific information. The problems are being resolved at the moment just until the point at which we control the entire region. We have the national Niger forces in Niger, 20 kilometers inland in Nigeria, just to ensure that we can finish this problem we have with Boko Haram. So the attacks are shrinking, but there are still attacks in the villages right along the border with Nigeria. But the territory here is vast, and you can't control all the villages.
2: Diffa region borders the northwestern part of Lake Chad as well as Borno state in northeast Nigeria. Atta Barkenden, a researcher and PhD student at the School of Oriental Studies in London, explains the deep-rooted links between Niger and Nigeria.
0: Since independence 1960, when Nigeria was coming up, first the capital was in Lagos, they moved to Abuja. Political economic power was concentrated in the centre. The fringes were like on spaces people had in you know, in the fishing networks farming networks people in Tamari and they speak the same language at this kind of lake chart border region so over the past three decades, that kind of culture erupted. So much so that a Kanuri man leaving Medukuri and going in to differ in Niger is probably going to see his in-laws. Boko Haram still have advantage of the geography, of the language, of this kind of fishing, farming networks and unions that have been formed over the years.
5: And that's why they have easy access to the place.
2: Ini Dele Deje is also carrying out research at SOAS.
5: I think that just speaks to how fluid this uh, uh identity is in terms of you know how we think of uh borders ending on you know at certain points based on how maps are are constructed and all that. But to these people who live in these local uh, uh, communities and areas they, they don't see themselves or see that these um, places that way and so Boko Ramus also sort of taken advantage of that as well. I, I think differ in particular plays an important an important role in that. More often than not, after they the, the launch um, an attack in a particular town, they usually just uh, escape a- across the border into either Chad or Niger or, or, to, Com- or to northern uh, Cameroon.
2: Boko Haram is known for the unpredictability of its attacks, which keeps the communities in the area in a state of fear. Since the election of President Buhari this year, Boko Haram has once again changed the way it operates. Sasha Jesperson is a research analyst with RUSI, the Royal United Services Institute for Defence and Security Studies in London.
6: I think there's a lot of fear in the region because we've seen a shift towards um, smaller scale attacks. So before the election, um, there was some much larger, larger attacks which seemed to respond to um, political statements that uh, Boko Haram was being quashed by government forces. Um, but since the election, it's changed to a certain extent, and we've seen much more small-scale attacks on villages um, where militants will come in and um, they'll kill, say, a dozen people and then withdraw or suicide bombers.
2: Many people are fleeing from their homes right across the region. The result is a humanitarian crisis with thousands of people displaced. Michel Ulé is the head of the sub-office of the World Food Programme in DIFA.
7: As we've seen here in the DIFA region, the number of people we assist is very dynamic. Often people arrive in waves. WFP only assists those that have already been identified. So what I can do is I can give you the numbers of the beneficiaries that we assist, plus those that, as you've just seen today, arrived in waves.
3: In Gagamari,
7: we have in total 634 households, which totals 4,500 beneficiaries. To fight the malnutrition and to ensure that Niger is adequately equipped to face its nutritional crises, WFP needs donor funds. At the moment, in 2015, WFP already has a shortfall of $30 million. In DIFA, in order to assist 113,000 people, WFP still requires $13 million just to take us to the end of December 2015.
2: In Gagamari, to the west of the city of Diffa, I met Yakuba Umaru from Damasak in Nigeria, 15 kilometers away, where hundreds of bodies were discovered in both March and April this
0: year. I came because of what happened in Damasak. The Boko Haram attack sent me here without even shoe, I have been here eight months now. I am here with my family. Some here are missing a husband, a wife, or their children. Up to today, they still do not know where they are or what happened to them. Some have chosen to go back to Damasak because there are the Nigeria and child forces there now. but for me, so long as I don't have guaranteed security there, I will stay here. I won't return until what's happening there
1: is really over.
2: Giuseppe Leprete is head of Niger Operations for the International Organization for Migration.
8: People in these villages, they don't feel safe uh, without the army around. I think two days ago there was uh, one example uh, in one of the villages in Nigeria uh, when that was not uh, protected anymore by the uh, by the chadian army the nigerian army the village was set on fire a lot of people killed uh, i think at least 15 uh, and uh, whoever and all the other people in the village uh, fled to to the city of Bosso and in, in that area in Guinea, so in the lake chad area people families they try to stay away from the border areas and they try to go uh, further uh, to in, the, in the different region. Uh, another situation that is uh, another challenge uh, for us in all these uh, islands uh, of the Lake Chad uh, there, were only other, there were also other nationalities for example Malians, people from Benin uh, these people have uh, settled down in, in the islands these are fishermen, for example they settled down 30 years ago uh, in these areas and now they are chased of course by Boko Haram or they are scared uh, the mill is the state of emergency of course so they have to they cannot see anymore in, in these places and they are coming back to to Difa but since they are malians of course they have to be uh, they want to be evacuated they want to to go back to mali
2: in the Kabalewa camp to the east of Difa i met people displaced from the Lake Chad basin Nigerian refugee Ali Bade from Malafaturi, now separated from the rest of his family, was personally targeted by Boko Haram as he's the son of the district chief.
0: The people from Boko Haram, they sent a letter to say they were going to attack the village. And that's why we fled. They threatened us by name.
1: Mariam is from Gadira. We were sleeping late at night when the assassins arrived and started shooting all over the place. We woke up to this catastrophe. We couldn't take our things. We could only grab the absolute essentials and our children and we ran. But where we first landed, we still couldn't stay safely, so we continued. We walked and walked and walked for four days. When we finally got here, we were really tired and half-starved and the children were dehydrated. Some were vomiting and some had diarrhea. Several people died due to fatigue and the lack of water along the way. There were also four women who gave birth during the escape in very difficult circumstances. Once we got here, the babies were looked after with their mothers and incredibly they're all still alive today. Abba Mamadou from Niger is a smallholder farmer and fisherman from
2: the islands in Lake Chad. We
4: arrived and people gave us what we need to live on but we don't have any clothes to wear nor any soap to wash what we have and we need other things too. We're here as long as the state requires it. We can't go back. Before life was good but now as we've attacked the attackers, they've started to attack us. So we've not been at all safe and that's why the state told us we need to leave the island.
1: In
2: DIFFA's Urban Integrated Health Centre on Market Day, I met lots of young mothers, including Hawa Umaru.
9: I grew up near here, but once married, I went to the lake with my husband. But now, due to the insecurity, we've come back to my parents in the village. I'm from the lake areas, so right now it's hard to take care of my family. My husband is from Nigeria. Now I'm back home, I consider myself Nigerian. Now that I'm back in Niger, I get food assistance, cereal. Five kilograms of cereal. Now I share my two bags with my neighbours who have nothing. I came this morning for plumpy sup for my daughter who has malnutrition.
2: Kaltoum Ghani from Damasak and now living in Gagamari plans to stay.
1: I'm fine here. I've even
9: been given a hut to stay in. I don't want to
8: return yet. I've been given a field to cultivate here and I need to start up all over again there. And I want to be really sure that the situation stabilises
2: over there before moving again. Giuseppe Loprete explains that the region faces very specific challenges.
8: One, there are many gaps, of course, for these uh, displaced population that include refugees, returnees, um, and internally displaced, it's important to make this distinction, decision because, um, of course, they have different uh, needs. Uh, almost uh, uh, nobody uh, coming from Nigeria or living across the border, uh, um, almost nobody has a document, uh, ID, ID documents, uh, for example, so... In a way, we don't even know if
2: they are from Niger or Nigeria when they arrive. Governor Yakuba Sumana-Gao is well aware that Diffa doesn't have the resources to cope with the continuous influx of arrivals.
4: It will be difficult to have a good season in 2015 because the rains are late. When you look at the lean season, you can see the drought is significant and many villages don't have rain. So it's very difficult for local residents to make a living and help the refugees and internally displaced. That's why the government of Niger will contribute. When I went to Majiguri, there was a plan to relocate or repatriate people from Nigeria. We have to locate these people coming from Nigeria, living now in Niger. It's quite clear we don't have enough resources here for them, and so at some point we'll have to send them back. And I'm sure at some point they will return. But they have to hear that from Nigeria, because they might not believe it otherwise. But they will return we will see a massive return as soon as the troops make progress.
2: Giuseppe is also concerned that the humanitarian crisis could incite young people to join Boko Haram and affect the stability of both Niger and the entire region.
8: Niger is still a relatively stable country, but it's surrounded by all these unstable situations. So um, for us it's very important that Niger keeps its, its stability uh, if they remain without assistance, if we cannot do anything for these uh, critical groups, uh, there is a high risk that all these young people um, will be uh, recruited by terrorist groups. In these areas, it's very easy for the terrorist groups to uh, recruit the young males, for example, IFA, those who have lost their job or their livelihood. They can, be, uh, they can be recruited by Boko Haram with $500 and a motorbike. I think Niger, and the situation is Niger, has to be monitored uh, constantly by the international community because if Niger falls, uh, I think uh, the entire region of Sahel or the entire West Africa will, will be heavily uh, affected.
2: The fragility of the economy, the lack of opportunities and jobs, Is a factor that plays straight into Boko Haram's hands. Governor Yakubu Sumanagao.
3: When I see young people going to
4: Boko Haram, I think they join them because they want to make a quick buck. To begin with, it was a religious problem, because of what some were preaching, but now people are just taking the easy road. Sometimes even the parents are pushing their own kids, telling them that they're not doing anything, telling them to leave. This is really about easy money.
2: Unsurprisingly, the economy in northern Nigeria is not thriving. Development has not been the top priority, with security concerns taking precedence. Sasha from Roussi.
6: The instability in the region is creating a lot of um, interest of people who can of moving out, often to southern Nigeria. And and this is creating difficulties for the region to develop, particularly because one of the drivers, at least for low-level militants, is and the low socioeconomic development within the region. This is just making it worse, and so in a way it's creating more drivers for people to get involved in Boko Haram because there are no other opportunities. My name is
10: EJ Hochendorn. I'm the deputy program director for Africa for the International Crisis Group. Uh, Well, the region as a whole is facing some pretty significant challenges uh, with uh, lack of effective governance, um, entrenched corruption, and a very significant uh, youth bulge in northern Nigeria, it is those three problems that has really led to an environment in which uh, boko Haram could uh, could grow uh, and Unfortunately, uh, northern Nigeria has been racked by uh, misgovernance, uh, massive corruption, and uh, a very bleak socioeconomic environment for uh, for its people and that made uh, the calls of Boko Haram more appealing and has driven people to join its ranks.
2: It's unlikely that development activities will start up again until the conflict is
10: stabilised. Certainly, is crisis groups position that the first thing that needs to be put in place is, uh, is security, is that people will need to feel that it is safe for them to return to their homes and to restart their lives. Uh, And once they do so, um, for the government to reestablish its authority and to start providing uh, basic services again. After that, uh, there will need to be a massive focus on rebuilding infrastructure that has been destroyed either by misgovernance or through Boko Haram attacks. And then ultimately, hopefully, that will translate into uh, generating some economic activity that will then hopefully uh, you know, increase over time. The
1: children aren't going to school here. Even before we had to flee, their schooling had been interrupted, as Boko had declared that white schools were forbidden and we were frightened that if we sent them, people would come and kill them.
2: That's Mariam again, talking about how Boko Haram has affected her children's education. Inida Ledeje from Soas explains,
5: "It's a shame that it took the the the, the abduction of two hundred and thirty-four girls in Chibok for not just Nigerians but the, the the whole world to sit to sit up and take notice of what Boko Haram is trying to achieve in terms of trying to make it so secular, structured education becomes wholly unattractive to parents and children." Within Northern Nigeria. And I I, I think it also connects, there's a a connection there to, I suppose, a prevailing um, fear and mindset that people have about um, uh, uh, secular education.
2: In the camps for refugees and displaced people in Diffa, there are thousands of children, many of whom have never had the chance to go to school. One of the more worrying social legacies of the conflict. Lizzie from Chatham House
9: already in places where perhaps going to school was a struggle because again because of the state of, of the economy and perhaps it was required that that children might need to be kept in fields for example to support farming activities rather than to attend school um, but in the meantime uh, uh, now just because of the nature of of the threat um, uh, it seems that education education becomes more almost an unnecessary risk um, but it, it's not just that, of course, in the idea of, of women, children and others being in the field becomes untenable because of, of the number of abductions by Boko Haram. And there are other factors here, such as the, uh, as, as the um, internal uh, displacements um, and um, the refugee issues. Um, large numbers of children being moved away from their homes um, and their communities as a result of this violence. Um, uh, so big gaps in in education but big gaps just in their lives in general in terms of their their, their social family um, upbringing um, so this is there is no doubt that this will have an impact in in the future and so any policy response to this needs to be really thoughtful about how you can start to be start to to rebuild build the economy in, in the northeast, um, but also being cognizant of, of these gaps that might be coming down the line in, in terms of, of, of skills and capacity, wider social need.
4: Boko Haram is about money. It's about economic interests, it's along the river, but once you leave the Lake Chad region then there's no presence of Boko Haram. The zone of influence is along the river, where there is pepper, there's rice, there's corn and there's fish. This isn't about religion. It's not a war about religion. It's about economic interest. Where there's only sand dunes, there's no Boko Haram.
2: Although economics may play a large part in the survival of the group, there have been public references made to allegiances to Islamic State. Sasha Jesperson again.
6: Since the inception of Boko Haram with Muhammad Yusuf, there has been quite significant shifts in ideology. So there was the original religious ideology that Muhammad Yusuf was putting forward. And then we had Abubakar Shekau take over, who was much more militant and, and focused on the attacks. The attacks became much more indiscriminate. So there was attacks against Muslims as well. And now we've seen this shift to aligning with Islamic State, even calling themselves Islamic State's West African province. Um, But in terms of their activities, these changes in ideology um, don't seem to have that much of an impact. There are definitely other drivers um, below the surface, and so at the moment it does seem to be very much driven by economics.
2: At Chatham House, Lizzie believes that although there are commonalities, the two groups operate in a very different way.
9: Uh, Looking back at at Boccaham video recordings over the years, um, the group uh, has tended to... Uh, let's say, name drop. Um, ISIS is the most visible global uh, terrorist threat at present. Um, it seems almost logical, given how effective Boko Haram is with its with its propaganda, um, that it would make this kind of a, a, a nod to ISIS. Likely there have, and, and I must add, um, uh, that this is... Mm, this is a, a, a likelihood that, that there has been um, uh, some kind of individual, uh, uh, individual to individual communication between the two. Um, but in terms of setting up, uh, I suppose a more established network for a uh, coordinated effort towards some joint, uh, some joint immediate goal. I would be more cautious on that. What will be interesting to watch um, in terms of this dynamic is what happens in cyberspace um, and efforts to reach um, a further audience with their ideological messaging.
0: The government that I lead is committed and will do whatever it takes to free Nigeria
8: from the menace of terrorism. No matter how long it takes, we will reclaim every inch of Nigerian territory
0: that is under the control of Boko Haram.
2: This year, with the election of President Buhari, the Nigerian government has come out in defence of Boko Haram.
5: The simple fact that we have someone new at the helm of affairs in Nigeria is a enough to, get, to give us hope when you consider the fact that uh, pres- uh, President uh, Yardua under whose um, watch this um, Boko Haram crisis actually um, started underestimated unders- really did underestimate uh, the sect and allowed it to mushroom into what it is today and then you had uh, President uh, Goodluck Jonathan who was quite uh, content to just uh disregarded as being a northern, a northern problem and under whose watch all the, the top military honchos just spent and uh, dis, uh, and frittered away the, 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 the budget that was meant to go towards actually prosecuting the, the battle against Boko Haram properly. Buhari is a very strong man. First of all, for me, as a person,
0: he's probably not corrupt, and he has a lot of military experience. Nigeria has another opportunity, not just to end this conflict, but really to rebuild, you know, the country. The fact that in the past, they thought this was just a simple Nigerian problem. Nigeria can deal with it because Nigeria is the biggest country around this region. But with the recent attacks, both in Cameroon, in Chad, and even in Niger, look at, for example, in Chad, within the period of one month, how many attacks have happened? So they have suddenly discovered that, look, This is not just a Nigerian problem. This is really a regional problem. And if they do not come together, it's going to destroy, you know, all of them. And so that level of awareness and that, you know, the desire and the drive To actually achieve some level of regional military security cooperation is really very very important because Boko Haram has been able to function just like any other terrorist organization for them to function effectively they must have a territory from which to operate so if you can able you know nip this territory together you may get them and so for us to nip Boko Haram, but we must control this territory. And for us to control this territory, we have this regional cooperation. And I think for me, this is one important aspect that Buhari has emphasised.
5: I want to see greater cooperation between Nigeria and, and Chad, Niger and Cameroon. And more, um, more importantly than um, us going, going to foreign nations to beg for, 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 for help and for aid, I would like to see more cooperation between uh, these um, West African countries.
2: President Buhari is reaching out internationally with a recent visit to Washington to meet President Obama. Uh,
9: President Buhari has already taken uh, some steps. He has moved the defence headquarters to the city of Maiduguri, which is the capital city of Borno State, uh, the heartland of of Boko Haram. Um, He has also um, uh, put in place uh, new defence chiefs. Um, So it is... is, uh, certainly hoped that this will make a, a difference on the ground in the battle against Boko Haram. President Bahari and the All Progressives Congress um, do have a lot of uh, international goodwill at the moment uh, that they should leverage, um, but it's it's certainly important, first of all, that actually there is deep thinking into how uh, Nigeria's armed forces can be both reformed and strengthened.
2: E.J. from the International Crisis Group.
10: The Good Luck Jonathan administration was uh, very suspicious of what was happening in the Northeast, Uh, didn't really understand what was happening, and saw U.S. reticence to provide it with um, lethal assistance Uh, was a sign of, of U.S. reluctance to help good luck jonathan rather than the nigerian government and that led in uh, into a downward spiral of, uh, of relations between the uh, the two governments that ultimately ended in the nigerian government canceling a training deployment uh, that had uh, been in place uh, for a us uh, i'm sorry for a nigerian military unit that was going to be deployed to um, fight Boko Haram. This will be an attempt to so-called reset the relationship. Uh, The United States is looking to resume uh, its training program with the Nigerian army in an effort to make it more effective in its fight against Boko Haram. It is probably also looking to offer uh, improved intelligence sharing and perhaps some logistical assistance as well.
2: And it looks as if relations are already improving. Since Buhari came to power, the US has committed $5 million to the fight against Boko Haram. In addition, the World Bank has pledged $2.1 billion to help rebuild in northeastern parts of Nigeria.
10: There's an increased willingness to try to support a regional response to the Boko Haram insurgency. Uh, the problem has always been that uh, there have been uh, tensions between Nigeria and its neighbors. Uh, we do think that that is uh, a lessening uh, to some degree, uh, both in uh, response to the very successful um, improvements in cooperation between Nigeria and Chad, but also because Buhari has clearly signaled that he wants to cooperate with his neighbors. And one of his first trips after he was sworn in was to the regional states uh, to try to improve this cooperation.
9: I think that there is an opportunity now um, to significantly reduce uh, Boko Haram activities and to significantly reduce the size of the the territory in which it operates. I think it would be uh, perhaps unrealistic to expect that the group can be wiped out uh, entirely, Um, but I I think it can be reduced to a more uh, manageable, if troubling, um, uh, small group or or localised network. Not forgetting that as the group exists now, um, in many respects, it is it is something of this, this uh, uh, loosely put together network of, of different interests and drivers and in, in, in belonging to this thing that that yes, albeit at its core, has this this extremist uh, ideological uh, drive, but has drawn in a a, a, w- a wider either membership or number of, of loosely affiliated uh, actors. Um, find something by by belonging to this to this organization
10: well I personally am very optimistic Uh, I I don't want to be uh, too optimistic I do agree with you that this is going to take years rather than months but certainly um, there have been significant gains made against Boko Haram Uh, the group certainly doesn't uh, hold territory uh, beyond some hideouts in uh, these dense forests on the Nigerian-Cameroonian border. But uh, it is a huge challenge to defeat the group because the area is so large, it's very rugged, making it easy for Boko Haram to hide, and uh, it is very difficult for security forces to move around and engage with this highly mobile force. That said, Boko Haram is significantly weakened and, as we understand, is having a much harder time recruiting than it has hitherto.
2: In DIFA, Governor Yakuba sumana Gao is also cautiously optimistic.
8: The war
4: is not over yet, because we'll still have a large-scale operation in the island area, but we will win it, God willing.
8: We're just waiting for
4: the operational command from N'Djamena, and so they can coordinate the raids on the island's region. But we will find them, God willing.
5: Uh, We've seen whole towns, Completely wiped out. Uh, I think decades after today, we'll still be talking and we'll still be counting the losses uh, 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 suffered thanks to, to to Boko Haram, and we will be asking if all of this could have been uh, avoided, perhaps by Nigerians coming to the table uh, uh, sooner to to discuss where we, we where we are as a country and where we are we're headed.
2: That's it for this month's edition of the Global Development Podcast. For more on the region, go to guardian.com global-development. This podcast is also available on SoundCloud, iTunes and all podcasting apps. My name is Lucy Lamble. The producer is Carrie Stewart.
4: For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.